Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 19. And we want to complete today the sermon on who is the Holy Spirit. We read these people who were in Corinth and they did not know who the Holy Spirit was. The Bible says in Acts chapter 19, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the, like I said, they're at Ephesus, I'm sorry, passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? What he was saying is, did you really get saved? And they said to him, no, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And to what then were you baptized? Now, this shows that they were not Christians yet. They said, into John's baptism. Now, notice what Paul says in verse 4. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him, that is, in Jesus, who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. They had not believed in Jesus, and you can't get saved unless you believe in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Not John's baptism, but the baptism of Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. This was to validate that they were truly Christians, just like it had happened on the day of Pentecost. And they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men. And we're going to talk about who is the Holy Spirit. We've already given you the biblical names of the Holy Spirit. I hope that you'll look those up. I will not comment on those today. And I won't even read them. There's about 12 from the Old Testament, 20 from the New Testament. It would be a great opportunity for you to do a Bible study on your own, just to look those verses up and to ask God to speak to your heart as he shares with you who the Holy Spirit is according to the names of the Holy Spirit. And then we've given you seven facts about the Holy Spirit. I'm not even going to read those. We've already filled all that in for you. That was last week. If you want to hear the sermon, you can go online at bellevue.org and just go to the sermons. All of that is free, and uh, we give all that to you, and you can listen to that. So we've already looked at those things, facts about the Holy Spirit, and then also biblical names of the Holy Spirit. Now I want us to look and finish today this message on the Holy Spirit by looking at the various functions of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? And in particularly, how does he relate to us? There are a dozen things I'm going to give you, so let's just go right on through now. The first function of the Holy Spirit I want to share with you is he convicts you. He convicts you. Jesus says in John 16, verses 7 and 8, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. The disciples were weeping and saying, we don't want you to go. We want you to stay here. He said, no, the Holy Spirit in you is going to be better than me with you. It's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the helper, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, the encourager, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And he, when he comes, he will convict the world, that is lost people, concerning sin 
and righteousness and judgment. No one can be saved until they're convicted by the Holy Spirit of God. You'll never convict yourself. The Holy Spirit has to do that. He has to show you that you're a lost person before you can be saved. How does he do that? He convicts you of sin. He convicts you and he shows that you are a sinner, that you have broken the laws of God. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages, the just penalty of sin is spiritual death. And only the Holy Spirit can show you that you're in that condition. And then he convicts you of righteousness. Literally, he shares with you that your righteousness, your good deeds are not good enough. Your righteousness, Isaiah said, are like filthy rags before God. You need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So he convicts you of sin and righteousness and of judgment. That you are not going to live forever. You are going to die. Even if you're healthy, even if you exercise and eat all the right things, you are, unless Jesus tarries, if Jesus tarries rather, you're going to die. It's appointed all men wants to die. And after that, the judgment, the judgment. You say, well, what about reincarnation? What about it? It's ridiculous. It's not in the Bible. That's what you do with reincarnation. You're not coming back as somebody else or something else. No, you're going to stand before God in judgment. What about cessation of spirit? What about I just die, you die. You're like an animal. No, you're not an animal. You're a human being. You have a soul. You're different than every animal. You are not an animal. That's one of the things that's so horrible about atheistic evolution. It says that we're animals. And you know what? We've taught our children so long that they're animals, they're acting like animals, and so is the whole world now. But we are not animals. We are human beings created in the image of God. The Bible says that we're going to stand before him in judgment. No, we're not going to have cessation of life or spirit. And there is no purgatory where you go for a little while and you suffer for a little while, and then God says, okay, that's enough. Go to heaven. No, that's not in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible. If you know Jesus and you die, you go to heaven. If you don't know Jesus and you die, you go to hell. That is it. No exceptions. So God convicts you of sin and righteousness and judgment. You hear the word of God, he touches your heart, and you realize, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, secondly, the Holy Spirit also saves, seals, and secures you at conversion. The Holy Spirit, when you repent of your sins, believe in Jesus and receive him as Lord and Savior, he saves you, he converts you. And at your conversion, he saves, seals, and secures you. Paul said in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, in him, in Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge, as a down payment of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, what does that mean? It means, it, it gives you, in verse 13 there, put that back on the screen if you will, verse 13. He gives you the very process and the pattern of how you get saved. First of all, 
You have to listen to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You can't get saved unless you listen to the gospel, the truth of salvation. That you're a sinner, Christ is a savior, and you have to repent and believe and receive in Christ. And when you do that, you believe in the gospel. That's the next thing. You listen to the message and then you believe, you repent of your sins and you believe on Christ and you trust him alone to save you and you receive him as Lord and Savior. And then what does he do? The moment you believe, he seals you in him, in Christ, by the presence of the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit, then it says he is your guarantee. He is your inheritance. He is your, the promise. He's the pledge. He is the down payment. When you buy a house, you put a down payment on it, and then you get a mortgage and you pay it off. And what God is saying here is, I've given you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is heaven within you right now. You're going to heaven. If the Holy Spirit ever comes in you, he is the down payment by God given to you to show you that the Holy Spirit is the one who does all these wonderful things for you. And he is the promise of God that you are going to make it to the other side. You're going to make it to heaven. Look at me. If you're saved, the Holy Ghost is in you. And that is the promise and the earnest payment, if you will, from God. The guarantee that you're going to make it to heaven. It's not about you doing your best. It's about the Holy Spirit living within you, and he's going to take you all the way to glory. Amen? Amen. Let's thank God for the Holy Spirit. Amen. He saves us, he seals us, and he secures us. And then the Holy Spirit baptizes you. The only definition of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the whole Bible is in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. This shows you how it works. For by one Spirit... We were all baptized, all baptized. I want to say it again, all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. This is the only definition and explanation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the whole New Testament. And it's very significant. It takes place at conversion, not after conversion, at conversion. In fact, it is conversion. It's not a second blessing. It is the original blessing of conversion. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a picture of somebody drowning. The Holy Spirit, it says, we're all baptized. We're all immersed into one body. The Holy Spirit takes you and immerses you in Jesus. He immerses you in the body of Christ, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And then while you're under there, he holds you down until you drown in the Holy Spirit. You literally drink in the Spirit of God. It's a picture of drowning. But look at me. You have to die to yourself so you can come alive to Jesus. That's what the picture is. God's not being cruel. God is being very good to you. When he drowns you in the Holy Ghost, he pushes you down in Christ and holds you down until you drink in the Spirit of God, and then you're born again. That's what it is. He baptizes you. It's not about a second blessing. It's about the blessing of conversion. The Holy Spirit baptizes you. And then he fills you. Now, what a lot of people nowadays, especially my charismatic friends, what they call the baptism, I call the filling of the Holy Spirit. Okay? 
We read about that in Ephesians 5.18. Don't get drunk with wine. That is dissipation. That is excess. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that verb there means continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Once you're saved, the Spirit lives within you. He baptizes you into the body of Christ. He fills you completely. And then he wants to fill you. Now watch this. From within. Do you remember when Jesus said, out of your body will flow rivers of living water? It's not that you get some of the Holy Spirit when you get saved, and then some later on when he baptizes you in the Holy Spirit, which some people teach. I don't believe that. That's not, I don't think, in Scripture. What it is, is the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. He baptizes you into Christ. And then what happens is, out of you flow rivers of living water. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. One baptism at conversion, multiple fillings for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life. Jesus said to the woman at the well, John 4, 10 and 14, he answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is, who says to you, give me a drink, you'd have, you would have asked him, that is, you would have asked Jesus, and he would have given you living water. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to that overflow, that outflow of the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine. That is dissipation. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, the imperfect tense. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit multiple times a day. You ought to pray all throughout the day. When you battle temptation, say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. When you sense fear or discouragement, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. When you deal with pride, say, Lord, that's not of you. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I need wisdom. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to share the gospel with this person. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Baptized at conversion by the Holy Spirit, filled for the rest of your life, every day, multiple times, the Holy Spirit fills you. And then the Holy Spirit gifts you. He gifts you. He gives you spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one, each Christian, individually. Now look at this. Just as He wills. He gave you and He gives you the spiritual gifts He wants you to have. The Holy Spirit assigns your gifts to you. I believe at salvation, everybody receives at least one spiritual gift. And then later on, you can ask the Holy Spirit to give you other spiritual gifts. And if He wants to use you in that area, He will. If He doesn't, He won't. No Christian has all the gifts. I've known some people that said they've met some people. <laughs> you can go a long way with that, can't you? Who said they've got all the gifts. Well, that's not true because they'd be a walking church in and of themselves. Amen? So I know that's not true. God doesn't give everybody, anybody all the gifts. Every Christian has at least one. Discover your spiritual gift and use it. What do you use it for? To exalt Jesus and to edify Christians. Edify means to build up. 
Your spiritual gifts are not just for you, although they will build you up, they will make you stronger, but that's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose that you have a spiritual gift is to glorify Jesus and to edify other Christians and build them up. Now, there are at least 19 spiritual gifts lifted in the New Testament. I'll give them to you. There's no way you can write all these down, but I want you just to listen to them. And you say, well, how am I going to get them? The best thing you can do is to go back and listen to this sermon again and just pause it and write them down. Do it however you want to. There are eight, at least eight speaking gifts. There's the apostles, prophets, our prophecy, evangelist, pastor, teacher, our teachings, exhortation, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Those are the eight speaking gifts. And then there are seven serving gifts. One is service or helps, hospitality, giving, leading or administration, mercy, faith, Discerning of spirits. I've heard people mispronounce that all my life. I've got the gift of discernment. There's not a gift of discernment. There's a discernment of spirits. It's dealing with what kind of spirit is in another person. I'm talking about a person that can sense what kind of evil spirit is in somebody who is demonized. That's what that is. So don't go around saying, I've got the gift of discernment. Maybe you're discerning, maybe you're wise. That's great. Maybe God's given you a gift of the word of wisdom. Then there are four sign gifts, miracles, healing, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And I list tongues last because Paul said it's the least of the gifts. You need to discover your spiritual gift. Normally, it will be in an area where you have a strong desire to operate and use it to glorify God and to be a blessing and edify and build up other Christians. The Holy Spirit gifts you. And then the Holy Spirit teaches you. He teaches you. Now, a preacher can get up and try to teach you the Word of God. But it works better when the Holy Spirit is alongside you to teach you as well. Jesus said, one day you might be confronted by enemies of Christianity, and you might be wondering, what am I going to say? How am I going to operate? How am I going to respond? He said, don't worry about that. The Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. Luke 12, 11 and 12. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. Why? Why do I not worry? Because the Holy Spirit will teach you. Say that with me. The Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Isn't that amazing? 
Isn't that reassuring? I have to go around and be some smart guy. I've just got to be some spiritual guy. The Holy Spirit's a lot smarter than anybody that could accuse me of anything. Or you either. Jesus said the night before he died on the cross, the Holy Spirit will help every Christian know what they need to know. And he will bring, the Spirit will bring to your mind the teachings of Jesus Christ when you need them. Jesus said in John 14, 26, but the helper, the parakletos, and that is a beautiful word. Para means with you, kletos, called to be with you. He's called to be with you. He's the comforter. The parakletos, the, the Lord, will, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And he will bring to your remembrance. And you know what? The older you get, the more you'll appreciate that. Amen? Just keep breathing. He'll bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Paul said that the Spirit of God can always teach you greater truths than any secular teacher ever could hope to. 1 Corinthians 2 12 and 13, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now, how does God teach you? How does the Holy Spirit teach you? He can do that through Bible teachers, but he can also do it, look at me, he can also do it by you steadily, regularly reading the Word of God. Now, what I do when I get through reading the Bible, I used to do a yearly thing. I do it now about every nine months. I just start at Genesis, and then I read a few chapters there. Then I go to Psalms and read a few chapters there, and then I read one chapter in the New Testament, and I keep doing that until I read the whole Bible. That, that's a good mix for me. You say, I don't understand that. There are multiple Bible reading plans on the internet, or we can give you one here at the church, but make sure that you read the Bible. That's how God speaks primarily through Scripture. Having said that, He teaches you. Having said that, I also want to say that the Holy Spirit talks to you. He talks to you. The Holy Spirit will prompt you to do things. He'll prompt you to give somebody some money and do it anonymously. He'll prompt you to do something kind for someone. Well, how do I know it was him? because normally we're too selfish for it to be us. When he prompts us, we'll know it. It's him. He speaks to us. He talks with us that way. The Bible says you will hear his voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it whenever you turn to the right or the left. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. I had a friend that said, God is a talker, and he is. How else will we know 
what decision we should make. God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. Say that with me. Good, acceptable, and what? Perfect. If it's perfect, then God's got a a will for me. How am I supposed to know it? How am I supposed to know? Back in the day, how was I supposed to know that I was supposed to marry Donna? He said, well, that's a (laughs) no-brainer. Well, you didn't marry her. I did. How did she know she was supposed to marry me? There's a specific thing there. You have to know that, and only the Holy Spirit can guide you in that. How do you know if you're supposed to go to college? How do you know what kind of job you ought to have, what kind of career you ought to have? How do you know where you're supposed to live? Have you ever thought that you ought to pray about where you live? Because if you're going to be raising children, rearing children around other people in the neighborhood, and you know there might be somebody in that neighborhood that would be a bad influence. God doesn't want you to be in that neighborhood. I believe God has a specific will for everybody, and I believe it should be specific about everything. God talks to us. He prompts us. He speaks to us. The Holy Spirit speaks primarily through Scripture. Look at me. You, You always need to read the Word. And I can't tell you how many times God has just lifted. I've been praying about something, and God would lift a verse off of that and just say, here's your answer. And I'm telling you, it is a wonderful thing when that happens. Some people say, well, God doesn't do that. That's because you won't let him. You don't want God to speak to you about things because then you got to do what he says. Amen? Oh. Throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit spoke directly to people. And whenever he speaks, it's always in accordance with and in harmony with Scripture. God will never tell you to do something that the Bible says is sinful. Never. Never. Make sure that whatever you said God speaks to you lines up with Scripture. If it doesn't, it's not from the Holy Spirit. It's from an evil spirit, a demon. And then one good way to say, you know what, I believe God told me this, is to have some good trusted friends that love the Lord and say, do you bear witness with this? Do you, what do you think about this? Do you think this is just crazy? And, and in their hearts as they pray about it, if the Lord is in it, normally there'll be a confirmation. I do that all the time. I've got three or four guys that I bounce things off of all the time. And I'm very, try to be slow about making decisions because once you make them, you have to commit to them. The Bible gives multiple examples of the Holy Spirit speaking. Paul, or rather, let me start with Philip, the deacon. He was witnessing in Samaria. People were getting saved. People were being healed. Demons were being cast out. God was all over the place. And the Bible says, stop. Go to a desert road. There's an Ethiopian eunuch I want you to witness to out there. And the Bible says in Acts 8, 29, the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Get in the chariot with him and ask him, what are you reading? And he was reading from Isaiah, a prophecy about Jesus Christ. And he opened his mouth and shared the gospel with him and the man got saved. And when you go to Jerusalem today, there are still Ethiopian Christians all over the place who come and they stay there for a while and then they go back to Africa. But he was the first one to win anybody 
of color to the Lord. And how did that happen? The Holy Spirit. The gospel is for everybody. What about Peter? He couldn't believe that God would want him to ever witness to a Gentile. Oh, my. He had these visions about all this Gentile food coming down. He said, oh, no, I, I know this. I'm going to pass this test. No, Lord, I've never eaten anything like that. He said, what I have cleansed, don't you call unholy. He was trying to show him it's okay to go to the Gentiles. And then the Bible says to Peter in Acts 10, while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs, accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Now, no doubt, you're out there thinking, well, God would never talk that, like that to me. I mean, I might hear uh, one or two words, but I've never heard complete sentences. Maybe Peter didn't hear them all at the beginning either. Maybe you have to stay so close to the Lord that he starts speaking to you. All I know is, he went down, went to the man's house, led him to Christ, and a bunch of Gentiles got saved. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. And then the Bible says the Holy Spirit spoke to five Christian prophets who were ministering to the Lord in Antioch and called them to the first mission field, Acts 13, 2, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Say that with me. Ministering to the Lord and fasting. Ministering to the Lord means you're praying. Fasting means you're putting more into it because you're so pulled away from the world, you're not even eating food right then. You're gonna, instead, you're going to feed on the Lord himself and you're going to pray and minister to the Lord. You're going to pray and fast. The Holy Spirit said, set apart, sanctify for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, let me just give you an example. Yesterday, I came up. We had tons of people come up and participate in um, Jesus Loves Memphis. And when I came up here, I asked the Lord, Lord, where do you want me to participate? Where do you want me to go? Don had already uh, found where she was supposed to go, and she prayed, and she went. And so I said, Lord, where do you want me? And I just felt in my heart. The Lord just laid on my heart. I, just, I could just see people witnessing, knocking on doors. And, and so I said, I, I love that, Lord. I'll go do that. And so I went with them. And so we witnessed to a lot of different people. We didn't see anybody get saved, but we got to share Christ. We got to share uh, little uh, bags that have the gospel in them. I tell you, you could tell it's a Baptist bag because there's something to eat in it too, amen? And so there's some popcorn in there, microwave popcorn. I mean, it's such a good way. We just walk on the door, knock on the door and say, I'm Steve Gaines from Bellevue Baptist Church and we're in the neighborhood and we're praying for people. How can we pray for you? And we'd like to give you a gift if you ever come to Bellevue and then share your testimony. And as we did that, I'm telling you, we gave out about 15 of those bags, 15 different homes Few of them weren't home, but we got to share the gospel with people, got to pray with people to get to lead anybody to the Lord. But it was just a better day, and I knew that I was where I was supposed to be doing what God wanted me to do. So how did you know? I just knew it in my knower, all right? Just down deep in my soul, I knew that's what God wanted me to do. I prayed about it. The Lord led me. I, I don't have time to talk more about this, but I recommend Charles Stanley's book, on how to listen to God. If you want to know more about this, 
I would encourage you. God is a talker. God has been talking to you all of your life. If you'll listen, you can learn to discern. Say that with me. Learn to discern. You can learn to discern his voice. Number whatever, the Holy Spirit prays for you. Romans 8, 26. Romans 8, 26. He prays for you. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit also helps us. I'll never forget talking with Herschel Hobbes when he was in his 80s, and he explained what this word means. The word helps there is the Greek word sunantilambano. He said, it's like this, Steve. He said, let's say you're going along and you've got a wagon and the wheel falls off and you have to stop. And you're in a mess, you're by yourself, and all of a sudden somebody comes up to be with you. Soon means, soon antilambano, soon. The prefix means that God is with us, the Holy Spirit is with us. And so he comes over and he says, you've got a problem, don't you? Yes, I do. My wheel fell off. Well, I'm here with you soon. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get on the other side, and we're going to lift this up together. I'm going to get on the other side to help you. Ante, soon ante. I'm going to get across your burden. And then Lambano, we're going to lift it up. Now, I'm with you. I'm on the other side of your burden. Now, we're going to lift this up, and you're going to fix your problem. And he said, Steve, that's exactly what God does, the Holy Spirit does. He comes along. You're in a mess. And he said, hey, I'm with you soon. Auntie, I'm on the other side of your problem, ready to help you, Lambano, lift it up to the Lord. And when you pray, I'm going to say, Father, this is what Gaines is trying to say in his heart of hearts. Is that not a beautiful, beautiful picture? God wants to be your comforter. He wants to be your helper. He wants to lift up your burden to the Lord. He prays for you. Oh, praise the Lord. And then he comforts you. You may not need comfort today, but you'll need it in the days to come. The night before Jesus died on the cross, his disciples were hurting, and they needed comforted, comforting. He said in John 14, 16, 17, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom you cannot see whom the world cannot receive, rather, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be with you. I'm going to give him. The comforter is going to come, and he's going to comfort you, the helper, the parakletos. And the Bible says in Acts 9, 31, and this is a verse I pray for Bellevue every day. I wish you would pray it as well. That after Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, he didn't get saved there. He got saved three days later when Ananias witnessed to him. But when he got saved and started preaching the gospel that he had persecuted, the Bible says this about the church in Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up, 
going on in the fear or the reverence of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Say that with me. The comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. How many of you think we still need the comfort of the Holy Spirit in the church? Amen? Amen. All right. Holy Spirit comforts us. He empowers us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. He empowers us for witnessing. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. He can still empower us to see miracles happen. That's why we pray for people at the altar, for miracles to happen. Romans 15, 18 and 19, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by work and deed in the power of signs and wonders. Say signs and wonders out loud. Signs and wonders. Those are miracles. In the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout, as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. When Paul would go, God would do miracles to validate the words he was speaking as he shared the gospel. The greatest miracle of all is somebody getting saved, but God still does other miracles to point people to Jesus so they will get saved. God will empower you. And then he'll empower. It's always from within. It's that inner man being strengthened by the Lord, Ephesians 3.16, that we, he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened from the, with power through the spirit in the inner man. God can give you strength. Some of you are saying, I can't continue in this marriage. I can't continue in this job. I can't continue with my health. I can't, I can't stop saying that and start saying, I can do all things through Christ and the Holy Spirit who strengthens me. Quit making all these negative comments all the time. I mean, you, 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 quit talking to yourself, by the way. You are not a good counselor to yourself. Talk to the Lord. And don't, you know, talk to other people like you. Well, this is what I'd be saying to them if I could, you know. Don't do that. Just stop. Whenever you start that, just say, stop that. And then in, I know you say, well, you're talking to yourself. Yeah, but... That's what you say to yourself. Quit that and start doing right. Start talking to the Lord. God will empower you. And then God gives you hope. Romans 15, 13, one of the greatest verses on hope in the whole Bible. Can we read it together, please, off the screen so we'll all be together? Read it with me. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you'll abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Leave that on the screen. How many of you need hope? Anybody need hope? Where are you going to get it? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. Now may the, this is a, a benediction. He's praying a blessing over you. Now may the God of hope fill you with what? All joy, all peace in believing. You've got to have faith. You've got to talk to God so that you will abound in hope. This hope will just be flowing out of you. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit fills you, there's hope. You don't go around all the time saying, our country's, you know, in a mess. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Uh, all the economy's in the mess. My, my, my finances are in a mess and all this stuff. Oh, it's bad, bad. Stop that stuff. Stop it. Get some hope. Who wants to hang around somebody always griping and complaining? 
You say, well, I'm always alone because you're complaining all the time. You're running people off. Stop it. Put that back on the screen. I want to read it one more time. May the God of hope. God is a God of hope. As long as there's a God, there's hope. Amen. He will fill you with all joy, not just some joy, all joy, all peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's just praise him for that verse. What a great verse that is. Amen. Amen. And then the Holy Spirit exalts Jesus through you. He never exalts himself. He always exalts Jesus. John 16, 13 and 14, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. Say that with me. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. You want to know about Jesus? Ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, tell me the story of Jesus. Let me fall in love with Jesus more. Oh, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, show me about Jesus Christ. And he will say, gladly.